Peace and love, family. This is Brother Fahim welcoming you to the Leave of Logic podcast. You know the vibes. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, y'all. It's been a minute since I've been in it, but I'm still trying to win it. <laughs> yeah, man, um, it's been a little bit over a month since I uh, was able to organize and put my thoughts together, but I feel like now is uh, now is a good a time as any to come on. Uh, come speak to you guys so here I am as always welcome uh, welcome back come on in man have a seat relax whether you riding in your car going to wherever you're going whether you're at the, the gym trying to burn off that holiday uh, <laughs> those holiday calories that you put on or you just relaxing and vibing out man to brother Fahim uh, I appreciate you. As I always say, come on in uh, and relax your mind and let your conscience be free. <laughs> and uh, as I try to uh, enhance your knowledge, wisdom, and understanding it and give some information that will hopefully be beneficial that you can use in a pragmatic way. So, man, I, uh, I do this podcast and it's life experience and observation based. What that means is my life experiences and everything that I've observed, I try to uh, translate that or communicate that through this podcast. And I I think I've been successful so far in the sense that I'm moving toward a goal and I'm uh, continuously moving. You know, that's success. Earl Nightingale said, no one is truly successful unless they're actively and earnestly uh, working and moving towards something. So, you know, when you get up every day, at least when I get up every day, I look in the mirror and I give myself an honest, earnest, earnest assessment. Hey, am I, am I moving toward a goal? Am I doing something? Am I better than I was yesterday in every aspect of my life? Uh, and am I working toward that? So it's something that you can ask yourself. But nonetheless, I, um, I like to listen to a lot of different perspectives on YouTube because I like to learn different things that I might not learn otherwise. You know, it's no fun in life if everything is uh, redundant or it gets repetitive. You know, you, as Earth, Wind, and Fire said, you know, you want to uh, you want to share the spice of life, and the spice of life in a lot of aspects is diversity. And so, um, one of the podcasts I stumbled upon it's called the Institute of economic thought and this is a brother um i would assume he'd be an acquired taste to a lot of people just because you know he's speaking about respectability and accountability now as with a lot of things and a lot of uh, nouns person place and things i don't necessarily agree with everything but i think as we get older it's important for us to learn how to siphon through uh, eat up the meat if you're a meat eater and spit out the bone or I say it in this way we have to learn how to not throw out the baby with the bath water and so as I learn and I develop that ability I'm able to uh, extract wisdom and, uh, and knowledge from uh, unlimited sources and so this institute of economic thought was one of them and uh like I said, it's a channel on YouTube and he's helping people to build businesses and become wealth and economic minded. And uh, he has a bunch of different, different uh, videos up where he discusses AJ, uh, uh, what's my man's name? Gaskins. I forget his name. I'm going to have to look him up. Now I'm going to look him up. He was, it was a book written about him. Uh, initially given to me by one of my good brothers, Keon, uh, A.G. Gaston, that's his name, and I talked about him too, <laughs> but uh, he talked about A.G. Gaston, he talking about Reginald Lewis, uh, he also uh, talked about a brother who I had, uh, who I had read about, Lonzo Herndon, who was born into slavery and uh, end up becoming a millionaire. And so he's he's giving you examples, he's giving the audience examples of black excellence 
in the form of black economics. But uh, as I'm scrolling through his his uh, well, let me let me back up. He popped up on my feed because it said five things that black people do that stop them from getting wealth. And I said this should be interesting to me. Let me see if I've if I'm familiar with any of these five things or you know best case scenario I can learn something so I'm listening I'm like okay these things okay some of them can be a bit over the edge but for the most part it's solid and so from that video you know it made me look in the rest of his his uh, his catalog it made me look at his other videos and I said hmm let's see what brother's really about and I came up on one that said uh Louis Farrakhan uh, wealth, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, Louis Farrakhan is um, the, how he use wealth and power, how wealth and powerful he is. In fact, I'm going to look it up because I don't want to give y'all the uh, the wrong, I don't want to give y'all the wrong name. Okay, it says Louis Farrakhan, an example of black wealth, power, and access in racist America. And I began to watch that, and man, I was like, wow, okay. All right, I see him, I see him. Now, <laughs> if you know me, you know I have a deep affinity for the Nation of Islam, the 5% Nation. Uh, any black organization that, that teaches and preaches uh, self-accountability, uh, self-maintenance, uh, uh, the erection of masculinity uh, along with the erection of family, the black family, and not the suppression of black femininity because black masculinity in its proper context only enhances femininity. It does not repress or oppress it. So uh, it's just at this moment in time, black masculinity is under attack, right? It's under It's been under attack, but it's really showcased now and now. A lot of liberal movements that join in, like the LGBTQ, like a lot of feminists, a lot of uh, black women who have joined in. But I digress. But um, he was he was talking about uh, Mr. Louis Farrakhan, whom I respect a great deal immensely, his uh, his accomplishments, and he said something that I thought was uh, so profound, and it's something that I have been saying in different conversations with various people. But when I heard it, uh, when I heard him say it, I was like, man, I'm not crazy. You know, somebody else had that realization as well. You know, he was talking about how Louis Farrakhan uh, loves black people, but he does not uh, engage in black culture. And I had to think, I said, wow. He doesn't engage in black culture. Hmm. He said, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't engage in black culture. And then he said, you know, when you when you think about a lot of the things that Farrakhan has said about white people over the years, they hate him, you know, but he's still powerful. And how is that? How is he still so powerful? Yet he is an outlier, so to speak, or he is a uh, enemy of the state in general, the state being the United States as a whole. And then he said something so powerful. He said, you know, he has a power base within the black community, right? And it's amazing because he doesn't really engage in black culture. And when I thought about how to eat to live, when I thought about the time, uh, the fall of America, when I thought about the message to the black man, when I thought about the autobiography of Malcolm X, I said to myself, he or the nation doesn't teach us to engage in black culture the way it is uh, engaged by a lot of our people, a lot of black people, right? And then he said, see, that's why Malcolm could talk the way he talks because he had a power base. And not only did he have a power base, he had his own economic infrastructure. I said, wow, that is so accurate. I remember telling somebody, maybe it was even one of my children or all of my children, 
You know, when you look at Muhammad Ali, it's more to the eye. Um, it's layered, the reality and the the meaning and the how to Muhammad Ali is never really quite mentioned. What do I mean by that? Muhammad Ali could only do and say the things he did for the same reason his brother said that Malcolm could do what he did because he had a power base and he had an economic infrastructure that would allow him to do that. What am I saying, y'all? Listen, if we don't switch our culture up and build an economic infrastructure, we're going to continue to be in last place. We're going to continue to be in last place. So with all that being said, that really motivated and inspired this episode. And I'm going to call this uh, episode Shifting the Culture. Yeah, Shifting the Culture. And I think it's uh, <clears throat> I think it's very appropriate because uh, at this point in time, it's, uh, it's December the 26th. It's uh, the beginning of a beautiful uh, African-centered holiday created in 66 by California State. Uh, Professor Ron Karenga, known today as Milana Karenga, but um, it's perfect because Kwanzaa is a holiday. For those of you who don't know, <clears throat> Kwanzaa is a holiday that it means first fruits, and what it did, what it, what it does is it emphasizes and magnifies practices that can be used in a, a pragmatic way and form from an African perspective, and it can be used throughout the year. Whereas Christmas is something that is um, really paganistic. It has nothing really to do with Christianity. Um, Jesus wasn't born in, on the 25th of December. Uh, the Christians didn't put up trees and adorn them with silver and gold. These were pagan practices. Um, and so, <laughs> more so, it's it's uh, those those things have economic uh, implications. Christmas and Thanksgiving and and, uh, and Halloween. That's not knocking anybody because I grew up celebrating them as well. But uh, as Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, if you knew better, you do better. But uh, Kwanzaa, uh, from my perspective, is a better choice for us because it gives us something to follow through on for the year and not just once, uh, not just once or during a season. But yeah, this is a good time to shift the culture. Right. So, you know, I thought about first, let me say, let me ask this. Um, what is culture? This is something that we deal with quite often in our community, in the black community, in the, in the uh, national community. You know, we have a culture and the culture, the national community's culture is really influenced by the Western culture, the way we dress, the way we speak. We speak the Queen's English. Um, a lot of the the on the, uh, in the country, uh, the United States of America, you know, a lot of the states are uh, European named, right? <laughs> a lot of the, a lot of the, the norms and values uh, come from the West. You know, the predominant religion or form of spirituality is Christianity. So these are all things that are ingrained in our cultures. You know, graduations, weddings, these are all cultural norms. And then you have symbols. I can remember, you know, teaching a course and, you know, dealing with culture and its uh, sociological meaning. You know, you have symbols and things like that. Like when you see the black fish, you already know that means black power. <laughs> That's a part of the culture, right? But so we, these are all part of the Western culture. But um, what is our black culture? Now, culture is defined as one's way of living, meaning one's language uh, or wisdom and customs, ways, actions, norms, values, symbols, things that are of that nature. So what, what is the black culture? When you think about it, ask yourself that. What do we do as black people that's uh, uniform? Do we even have a uniform culture? Some aspects of some implications of culture, of black culture, that uh, I would I would love for you to consider is this: our diets, our diets. What do we consume? What do we put in our body? Do we monitor what we put in our body? 
I did a podcast a while back where I discussed uh, the rates of obesity amongst black and black men and women, and it was alarming. Black women being a little bit more obese than black men. But what are we, what are we eating this holiday? Yesterday, what did you guys eat? What did y'all partake in? We know that pork has, pork is not only uh, not only forbidden in the Bible, Quran, and I'm not sure about the Torah, but we know that it's divinely forbidden, but also we know that it has scientific implications of ill health, right? The trick in the worm, which can get into your body and work its way up your spine and go into your brain. And once it gets to your brain, you're done. We also know <laughs> pork has no sweat glands. It doesn't metabolize food at the rate that it should. And so whoever consumes that, whenever you consume that, you take on these attributes as well, or these uh, breaks in health in the health condition, you know. So um, are, we, are we consuming fried foods? The whole soul food phenomenon. Right, I was watching an episode of uh, the Boondocks, and I think Granddad wanted to build a, he wanted to uh, own a restaurant, and I think he was serving bad food. He, of course, Huey was running them all away. He was running everybody away, and of course, that's not profitable. So Granddad was getting on Huey, and he was like, "Huey, what are you telling these people, man?" And he was like, "What's behind your back?" And lo and behold, he has a copy of How to Eat to Live <laughs> behind his back. And then he goes into the example of the movie Soul Food and how, you know, Big Mama showed her love to her children by essentially killing them at the core. Yes, she used the table as a, a rallying point for her children. But at the same time, she was poisoning them. She rallied them all just to poison them. And this is the way, you know, she was taught. This is the the culture that was passed down and that culture still exists today in our society, um, within our within our society. So what are we consuming? Are we eating fried foods? Are we eating heavy starches? Are we eating a lot, uh, a lot of carbohydrates? And I had mentioned the Western culture, but I forgot to say that the Western culture influences a lot of the black culture and maybe even designs a bit of the black culture, right? But we have to break away from that. But yeah, are we drinking? Are we drinking a lot of alcohol? When we know that there are studies that shows that alcohol shortens your life, ruins your liver, causes multiple sclerosis—not uh, multiple sclerosis, sclerosis of the liver. Excuse me. Yeah. So we have to. Uh, is our diet a diet? Overall, now, generally, is our diet a diet that is something that is life-giving? Right, or is it something that brings death? So we might want to rethink those our diet and that soul food. Um, also, when I think about our culture, are we a forward-thinking people? Are we thinking forward? What does that mean, thinking forward? Um, you know, the purpose of a generation. Of each generation, we should be creating something more beneficial than what may what, than what we may have had. Another way to say it is: we, Are we making it uh, better for the for those behind us? You know, a lot of people hate Floyd Mayweather because of his arrogance. I get it. His persona is not somebody that is super compassionate or down to earth. <clears throat> but when you listen to his business sense, he's he's a genius, or at least certain things that he says. Uh, about business and legacy are brilliant. They asked Floyd in an interview I saw one time. It's been a year, a couple of years back. They said, Floyd, do you want to be remembered as one of the greatest? He said, I could care less about being remembered one of the greatest. I want my children's children's children to be wealthy and well off. I'm working for their legacy. That's what I'm concerned about. I'm not concerned about uh, what the fans think because the fans will have you brawling and punch drunk and stupid he said you know I love Muhammad Ali but they only loved Ali when he was washed up and bruised and and he was a, a, a fallen lion 
They hated him when he was up and on his toes, dancing and pretty. And so that says that, you know, it's it's a, the, the fan base is vicious, but it's up to you to be about the business of legacy and forward thinking. Is that something that our culture does? Do we do that? And that's even, I would even challenge a lot of the, the civil rights era, right? What did you leave us other than, uh, you know, some knowledge? What was left? I mean, now I'm not talking about will. I'm talking about by way of legacy. Because see, all those jobs that we fought to get into, all that equality that we fought to have, how does that, how does that, um, how does that transition or translate into uh, wealth in the future, right? If a man is married and he passes and he had a retirement, his wife will get the retirement, but what about his children? What are they to do? So are we, are we having wealth building conversations at the table? Are we mapping out strategies? You know, the older we get, we should be, our minds should shift and calibrate into something different. You know, Dame Dad says you should be hustling for your last name, not your first name. And the way to do that is to to think about a legacy. Is our culture one that says, hey, I am going to build my legacy up. I am going to establish something for my family so that generations to come will not have to recreate the wheel. They will not have to go through the same struggles that I went through. Right? Are we doing that? Is that a part of our culture? Next thing I would ask, are we down with OCP? Are we down with being owners, creators, and producers? Right? I often ask children something, uh, trying to enlighten them. The children in my community, I often ask them a question when I see them. Uh, doing what they love when I see them having fun outside from home. You know, I strike up a, a conversation about a sport, whatever sport they like. Typically, it's basketball. A lot of African-American children love basketball and football. Some of us love baseball, but those are the two primary sports. So I, I always ask, hey, who's the, who's the, um, who's your favorite player? Who's the, who's the coolest player? I always ask them, who's your favorite player first? That's a little something uh, I get a solid answer from. Then I say, okay, I ask them a little bit, something a little bit more subjective. Hey, who's your, I mean, who's the coolest player on the Lakers team? Who's the coolest person on the Lakers team? And they'll always say LeBron James. And I always say, no, that's not. The coolest person is Jeannie Buss. Go look her up. Who is Jeannie Buss? Jeannie Buss is the owner of the Lakers, who, by the way, is the daughter of Dr. Buss, who owned the Lakers when they uh, when they had Magic Johnson. And let me let me give this let me give this uh, analogy while I'm thinking about it while it's on my mind. <laughs> let me rewind for a second back to forward thinking and legacy building. A lot of us hate. LeVar Ball. I can remember when uh, he hit the scene a few years ago, how much criticism that he got from within the black community. And I said to myself, a lot of people are going to eat their words. But um, he's since been so successful. And pay attention, brothers and sisters. He is very, very, very much uh, in tune to positive affirmation and speaking things into existence. But nonetheless, I saw a clip of him discussing legacy and forward forward thinking and legacy building. He said, if Lonzo over here is a millionaire and LaMelo is a millionaire and LiAngelo is a millionaire, that don't give us any strength. He said, those are individuals. We in, our, in the black community, we're so quick to go off and be an individual. But now, when you think about the Waltons, that's a family. When you think about 
uh, Heinz, that's a family. When you think about uh, Wendy's, that's a family. So we, we, we're millionaires to, uh, individually, but we are billionaires collectively. And so, um, yeah, I thought that was super insightful, though. I've always seen that in him. I've always acknowledged him uh, being a person who shifts the culture. And by the way, just for you guys' information, <laughs> the first principle of Kwanzaa is umoja, and that means unity, right? Every great leader who tried to build uh, dealt with unity, whether it was Noble Drew Ali, whether it was Marcus Garvey, whatever, whether it was the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Anybody trying to build an organization, they understand that unity to organization is like oxygen to the lung. You cannot survive without it. Period. Neither can a people, neither can any group of people trying to have a legacy or, or build an empire. So, but uh, are we done with OCP? Owner, creator, producer. You know, <clears throat> are we pushing our kids? Are we pushing ourselves? to own and okay if you don't want to own something or uh, are you trying to create something and if you're not if you're not creating are you producing right you could do any one of those things and there are many more categories but those are just things that would help us to benefit you know when you research how can i own whatever you know you might want to earn, own some digital real estate. You know, I was listening to Brother Ben X, and he was teaching how to uh, buy books that have already been written, and you can resell them. <laughs> you can switch the book up and tailor it to whatever it is that you might want to say. But you can own that book. Of course, you got to bring some capital. You got to pay. But... You know, you can make that back. You know, I, I encourage my kids to be creative, you know, and try to create something. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing more fulfilling and satisfying than bending matter with your mind. That is awesome. You know, that is one of, I love to, to see that happen and that can happen. We all have the ability to do that. We just have to engage it in exercising. You know, it's a muscle, uh, the muscle of the mind. It's a muscle that you have to exercise, and it only gets stronger. But what are we creating? What are we, uh, what are we building or destroying? Right? What are we building? You know, you have to create. To uh, to create something, you have to build, and sometimes you have to destroy. You build on the positive and destroy the negative. So are we, are we creating? Are you creating? Are you being creative? Are you fueling that creative drive within yourself? You know, and then uh, producing. We consume everything. I would argue that black people in our, within our culture, we are a consumer class. Why do I say that? Because when you look at the Nielsen, and I'm going to bring a little bit of that up in a sec. When you look at a lot of the research, um, Black people spend a good bit of their money consuming luxury items. To be, <laughs> to be the least, at the at the lowest rung of having uh, liquid capital, we are at the highest tier of consumption of luxury items. Let that sink in. We're at the lowest rung for uh, liquid capital, but we're in the highest tier for luxury good consumption. <laughs> That's crazy when you think about it. That's really crazy. So owning, creating, and producing. There are so many opportunities for us to do this. If we just spend five, 10 minutes every day uh, looking for opportunities to own something, uh, figuring out what we can create, and then uh, bringing a product
bringing a product forth that we could then market and capitalize on, right? <laughs> that would that would uh, greatly ben- benefit our culture. These aspects that would benefit our culture. You know. Next, do we have do we advocate the support of our own? Right? Do we advocate the support of our own? What do I mean by that? Do we actively seek out opportunities to continually enrich our community? Right? And I'm talking about culture, meaning is this something that's done? on a regular is this something that we do are these aspects you know when when i think about cultural things i think about like when you think about like some west african cultures or some uh i don't know cultures from the orient certain things are so ingrained in their habits and uh it's so ingrained in their culture right how can I put it? Their culture has so influenced and informed their habits that it's almost, they don't even think about it. It's almost, it's automatic, right? And so that's what I'm saying about these aspects or implications of culture. Do we do these? There are absolutely people within our culture that do these things and do them rather well and rather frequently. Remember, I'm, I'm talking about the collective. I'm talking about, you know, the majority of us, right? Do we advocate? I mean, do we naturally, are we naturally inclined to support our own in the same manner that we support other than our own? <laughs> you know, how many of us do that? You know, how many of us? drive the extra mile to go to a black owned business how much of how many of us uh give that little bit extra benefit of the doubt when we do patronize a black business and our our experience might not be satisfactory or what we prefer or desire you know we have to make it a part of our culture to where we don't even think about it you know, and I say these things because when you when you study and, and investigate other cultures like or, you know, the Asian culture or the Jewish culture, they are very, very strong in these areas. You know, they support their own. They unify. They are they down with OCP ownership, creating and being a producer, you know. Um, they have different cultural foods, right? different things that they consume uh, that will enrich them that will help them you know propagate the life and the, and the continuance of their lives so um, yeah we have, to, we have to continue to advocate the support of our own you know and you can start small you know you start with one two whatever you know, network. There's so many opportunities to network. You have Eventbrite. You have a meetup. You know, if you have a, if there's a black-owned business that you patronize, try to talk to the owner. The owners, a lot of times, will be movers and shakers. I want to uh, shout out the owner to Code Ninja Miss Vivian. I think it's Ryman. I want to say her name wrong. Ryman Raymond, uh, sister. And uh, she is, she is uh, very, very, um, very, very humble, down to earth, and willing to help, and just willing to help overall. So, you know, if you're patronizing black business, try to speak to the owner, talk to them, you know they vibe you might be surprised at what you find they might be able to plug and connect you up and help you reach your highest destiny or the goal that you have for yourself in business so 
So yeah, those are just a few implications of culture that we should ask ourselves. You know. But now I always try to read and give you guys some literature, something that that comes from somewhere solid, some uh, empirical data, uh, some well-researched data. And uh, this week is coming from two of my favorite books. I think I've dealt with one of them before. It's uh, <clears throat> uh, from the Browder file, Brother Anthony Browder. He's a Chicagoan, and then uh, Poweronomics, Dr. Claude Anderson. <laughs> Yeah, so and then I uh, also have a couple articles that I was going to share with you guys, just some, some some excerpts from it. But, you know, I spoke about this earlier when I opened the podcast up at this point in time where we are, you know, dealing with uh, Christmas and the, and the holidays and, you know, considering culture and how do we shift our culture and pivot out of those norms. You know, another aspect of culture that we rarely speak on, um, how we discipline, how we love our children. This is not really something that I had planned on speaking on, but it just popped in my mind. So I'll expound just, I'll elaborate just a little bit. You know, how we discipline our kids, it essentially reflects how we love our children. You know, I don't, really spank my children because I don't want them to be apprehensive about physicalities. In this in this cold world, I want them to be able to protect themselves and understand that sometimes you must be violent in order to reach the peace that you need. You know, sometimes you have to be, I teach them that, sometimes you're going to have to go to the heart of the violence so that you can enjoy the body of peace, the full body of peace. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't uh, use corporal punishment, so to speak, on my kids. Uh, what happens is, um, where did that come from? Where did that? What part of our culture? What part of our culture included? the spanking of children or the physical uh, hitting of children. Now, I was I was absolutely spanked, me and my brother. <laughs> we were absolutely spanked as children. Um, but we wound up totally different up under the two spankings. So it proved to be obsolete, right, in that way because children are all built different. Uh, sentiment, temperament, uh, psychological makeup and it's up to you as a parent to figure out and analyze and see where your child is and what I've learned is um, there are other things that I can do and also in a concerted effort to make them understand uh, more better or more thoroughly I explain things to them uh, it's easy for me to become emotional and lash out but it's hard for me to sit back and leave with my logic breathe and say what is really at the core of this because even though it was ingrained into me that sparing the rod means spoiling the child uh, I also have to we also have to consider that uh, a lot of times the, the rod was used excessively and it was used arbitrarily and so yeah, I try to break that cultural norm as well and implement uh, knowledge, implementing and planning knowledge into them where it might be a flaw in character. Now, nonetheless, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to where I was with Dr. Browder, dealing with uh, dealing with culture. You know, from the Browder files, an old book. Uh, I had heard about it years ago. It was written, I'm looking at the book right now, it was written initially and it was copyrighted in 1989. But you know, they updated it. But it was really, it's like, it's 22 essays on the African-American experience. And he deals with a lot in this book. But uh, the section I'm gonna read to you is uh, Exploding the Myths 
and um, and exploding immense. He deals with uh, the holidays and how the holidays affect us and how they affect our culture, right? And a little bit about the origins of our culture, you know, uh, or the origin uh, of these holidays. And so, so I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna go ahead and read a little bit. Um, he says, department store merchants become increasingly wealthy as many pre-programmed consumers spend a small fortune on gifts just to make their loved ones happy. The irony of this shopping madness can be witnessed the day after Christmas when sales reduce prices for all merchandise purchased at higher rates before Christmas. A similar shopping phenomenon can be witnessed in the days leading up to Easter. Everyone must make certain that they're dressed to kill in their new shoes, new dresses, new suits, and new hats, all to be worn to church for the Easter Sunday service. I don't mean to sound like a spoil sport, but it seems to me that the religious significance of both Christmas and Easter are overshadowed by emotions of materialism. These same emotions are passed on our children through the fabrication of such fictitious individuals as Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. This lays the, the emotional foundation for another generation of pre-programmed consumers. But this is not the first time that religion was used to make a fortune at the expense of other people. I thought that was interesting because he deals with fictitious beings, right? And he also deals with the emotional foundation for another generation of pre-programmed consumers. This has become a part of our culture. This has become ingrained in our culture. You know, uh, we've run with this myth. We've run with this uh, Western, this Western uh, custom that is not beneficial in the long run, right? So that's what Mr. Browder had to say. That's what the brother had to say. Now, um, Mr. Dr. Anderson says this. He talks about a concept called ethno-aggregation and how, and now this is from the book Powernomics. Powernomics is a book that deals with not only uh, economic issues uh, uh, within the black community, but also solutions. He offers solutions. <laughs> He's not just emphasizing a problem, right? He's giving you a solution uh, uh, that you can engage in, steps that you can actually take to rise and emerge out of whatever it is or out of your economic situation. But nonetheless, um, this is this is from chapter two. He's dealing with a concept called uh, ethno-aggregation. He says ethno-aggregation is best defined as the voluntary concentration of individuals and their resources around their ethnic or language commonalities for the purpose of improving their economic and political competitiveness. The term ethno-aggregation may be new, but the concept is not. It is a behavior pattern used every day by religious, gender, ethnic, and Spanish-speaking groups. The culture of these, the culture of these groups emphasize that members rally around common characteristics or attributes ethno in order to pool their collective resources aggregation and compete with non-group members right um bear with me according to the powernomics plan the primary purpose for ethno aggregation is to convert disaggregated black individuals and groups into a national team and to concentrate their resources. The more concentrated their resources, the greater their impact and competitive advantage will be. For black Americans, this paradigm is important because it can directly reverse past conditioning and is the antidote for Willie Lynchism, a slaveholder plan to divide and conquer black slaves. Ethno-aggregation encourages blacks to unify as a people, as an alternative to seeking to unite with others. It encourages blacks to pool their resources. 
A fist has greater impact than five separate fingers, but a scattered group is like separate fingers. The impact of the five fingers working together as a fist has an even stronger impact if directed towards the weakest part of a competitive force. An aggregated group has a competitive advantage over a group whose resources are scattered. Likewise, ethno-aggregation is most effective when the resources are organized and directed. <laughs> that was from Powernomics, Dr. Claude Anderson. So, um, yeah, I wanted to deal with that whole Christmas thing, that whole holiday thing, and how it's, it's been used to lay an emotional foundation to make us consumers. And then Dr. Anderson dealing with ethno-aggregation, how we should pool our resources so that we can lay a culture of coming together uh, so that we can be strong and ward off non, uh, non-group members, right? Because the wolf always goes after the lone sheep. Well, I'm saying, you know, culturally, we have to reprogram ourselves so that we don't we're not sheep because you know people have studied us people have studied our habits people have studied our norms and values and people are consistently studying our culture this is what uh this is what uh entails or uh, compiles our culture right and you know it has to be it has to be uh, resurrected because it's a culture right now that collectively we're not benefiting from and we should be we absolutely should be um, I read some some articles right just because it's this time of year because it, it's the most uh, consumed consumption-based time of the year. It's not the most wonderful time. It's the most consumption-based time. (laughs) You know. But I'll tell you now, um, something that I learned, right? Something that I learned. It might be a good idea. This is not my, uh, this is not my initial thought. This is something that I, learn and heard brother polite he mentioned he said uh you know instead of buying all of these materials that will erode in the mind and in the physical how about we invest because we understand and i teach my children this the fourth quarter in america meaning the fourth quarter of the fiscal year in america is the most profitable if you're going to start a business if you're going to sustain a business the fourth quarter is going to be vital in that business is uh, uh, thriving or sustaining or staying afloat. Why? Because we know every year there are three things that happen that cause massive consumption. That's Halloween, that's Thanksgiving, and that's Christmas. So if we're being forward thinking, we say to ourselves, hmm, let's, let me start watching MSNBC squawk on the street. Let me start watching uh, you know the uh, 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 tech tech industries. Let me start listening to Wall Street Trapper. Let me start going to these places uh, where they're giving out information and, and spreading the knowledge and the wisdom uh, of how the stock market and how crypto moves, so that I can have an understanding and I can benefit. Right? How about we start to invest? instead of starting to consume so much if you already do that that's amazing and that's beautiful but you you already know that the toy companies you already know that the food companies you already know that certain industries are going to benefit every fourth quarter so why not invest why not use our brain and get on board with hey instead of spending $200 or $500 on a game system. I'm going to give out, I'm going to invest some stocks. I'm going to open up for my children. Right? 
and uh, I'm, I'm gonna open up an, an account where I can put up uh, you can put in just about anything precious metal and I've spoken on this precious metal uh, real estate you can put stocks you can put all of that good stuff you manage the account for your children until they become of age and then they take it over right their portfolio you can manage the whole portfolio for them how about I open up an Utma and I invest in Disney my children like Disney my children like Apple do you know that they say Apple and Microsoft are going to be huge winners in the tech space? Why? Because metaverse, gaming, the way technology is changing is it's 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 crazy, you guys. But um, but polite was saying, how about you guys invest instead of spending so much money? Instead of spending every Christmas, how about you invest? How about you benefit from the other people consuming? You know, that's a part of that oath, that OCP ownership, uh, creating and producing, right? When, when you own shares in a in a company, you are an owner. But um, a couple articles I'm, I'm gonna read and I'm gonna get out of here, you guys. Uh, it was an article on News One: Black buying power in the pandemic. How COVID-19 is changing our holiday spending. This was posted on November 26, uh, 2021 on the News One. News One. Uh, the author's Bruce C.T. Wright. Um, and it basically just went into Black Friday and a couple things. Now, um, I want to read this. It says... Uh, dealt with COVID last year and the concern black consumers had, you know, because of course it was high levels of black uh, unemployment, you know, and disproportionate availability of lower wages. So, but according to Nielsen, which provides analytical insights about the habits of consumers, there was no significant drop off in black buying power during all of 2020, let alone the holiday season. In fact, there was an overall increase in buying power from black consumers last year in a trend predicted to continue this year as well. Nelson predicted the trend to only grow. Um, to be sure, black consumers are no strangers to spending during the holidays. In 2014, black consumers were predicted to lead all holiday spending by shelling out 17% more than other racial backgrounds. Seven years later, and it seems that the pandemic has neither affected if nor how we shop data Nielsen data from last year found that the pandemic which was dis disproportionately affected communities of color prompted black people to quote make more frequent trips to the store spending less per trip than total population and while statistics show just a couple of years ago that black consumers prefer to spend their money in person instead of the internet the opposite has become true these last two years in part because of the pandemic so since 2014, we've spent more than other racial backgrounds. And now we flipped it, right? Instead of it being Black Friday, now we're, we're capitalizing on uh, Cyber Monday, right? Um, this is crazy. That was one uh, on the news one. That was one article. Uh, the next article is called by black black dollar this is from USA Today um, and this was from February 2nd 2021 Better Business Bureau meets consumer reports black dollar index ranks companies by support of black America now this more or less deals with where your money's going these companies that you put your money into uh, what do they what do they feel about you these are this is what you're getting for your consumption. You know, I teach my kids that when you give your money away, you're giving your power away. And uh, if people don't respect you, they should respect your buying power or they should respect you spending your money. Right. And so it goes into a little bit of uh, the companies that respected uh, black people. It says uh only four current 500 Fortune 500 ceos are black and only one is a woman 
Uh, USA Today analysis finds that less than 2% of senior most executives in America's 50 largest companies are black. Some 8% of white collar jobs, 3.2% of senior corporate positions are held by African Americans, according to the Center for Talent Innovation, a nonprofit group focused on workplace diversity. Um, let me see, I just want to get this to you guys. Da, 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 da. Okay, so it says to to data, the Black Dollar Index has rated more than 100 corporations in travel and hospitality, consumer goods, finance, technology, and media, retail, and food services. Dozens more are being added as more public information becomes available. Brazil said, 14 of the 105 companies, 13% are Black Dollar approved. They include Allstate. American Express, AT&T, Nike, and Under Armour, the top-rated company is UPS. Best Buy, Bank of America, Clorox, Netflix, Target, Verizon, Walmart, and Wells Fargo are also approved and fall into the next tier, which is fair. The lowest possible score is zero with the Trader Joe's and Cheesecake Factory for providing little, too little public information on the racial and ethnic makeup of their workforce and other facts that are heavy, heavily weighed in the Black Dollar Index. Um, so yeah, those were kind of the companies that we're consuming, that we are patronizing. Um, that's how they ranked as far as where they are on the support list, <clears throat> right? Now, I mentioned those things. I wanted to go into that because ultimately what I'm trying to say is this. We do need to shift our culture uh, from a lot of the norms that I've mentioned, a lot of those implications. And we need to uh, unify Umoja. It's in our best interest to unify. And we have to pool our resources. <clears throat> we have to get past a lot of horizontal issues. Horizontal issues. I'm a Muslim, you're a Christian. I'm a Republican, you're a Democrat. I'm from New York, you're from uh, Mississippi. And all these are horizontal issues that are obsolete and they only hold us back. You know, um, we have to reevaluate these aspects of culture and make sure that we're engaging in things that would only build and develop, grow and develop our, uh, our culture. You know, knowledge is good. Um, application is great. Getting knowledge on a topic is, is excellent, but actually executing is where the power lies, right? If you can't, if you can't uh, educate and execute with your community, do it within your own household, do it within your family. Um, and we have to, uh, another thing we have to do is, uh, 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 another thing we should be doing is, and these, I'm sorry y'all, these are things that we can do to shift the culture, uh, reevaluate our, our current culture, which I kind of did, or which hopefully you guys will do. Um, gather knowledge, acquire knowledge, but uh, execute apply that knowledge and lastly uh, immerse yourselves in uh, methods uh, and ways to uh, manipulate and create the industry one of the easiest things right now to do is immerse yourself in st uh, stem science technology engineering and mathematics um, learn a coding language learn about the cloud you know, there's so many free certifications online. You know, uh, Udemy has uh, $9.99 courses that you can learn just about anything in technology. You know, uh, take advantage of some courses and NFTs. I'm not saying <laughs> uh, sometimes a lot of those guys that are teaching things, they might have... Uh, a course and it might cost two three grand but by the way a lot of those courses they slash them in and uh at the end of the year they slash them just like any other business they slash them so that they make they could become more affordable for you at the end of the year but um educate yourself come into the know because uh stem is the future and it can help us gain that capital you know so that we can stop working for uh trading time for money and we can, you know, begin to uh, to benefit. Listen, my time is running low. Peace and love, y'all. I appreciate y'all coming through. And uh, I'll see you next time.
All right.